Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Um, I'm feeling a little spontaneous, all right, in this service, so you don't, I said that in the first service, and it kind of just went as planned, but this time I really feel it, so hold on, all right? Um, I really do want to just climb right in to Scripture to get started, but I want to pray first, so let's do that real quick. Oh, Father, thank you for being ever-present, for being um, here in this place, for being the Holy One who makes us holy, faithful and true to all your promises. So thank you for the promise that wherever two or more of us gather, you're here with us. And Lord, our eyes are on you. We look to you for the wisdom and the, the blessing that comes when we open your word. Holy Spirit, we invite you to teach us. And Lord, as we talk about uh, creation Lord, and recreation, we pray that you would lead the way and be who you are, who you've always been, who you'll always be, and bring life to us. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, hey, so Luke 19 is where we're headed. So if you have one of these types of Bibles, you know, the old kind that you see in the library or maybe on your nightstand, open it up to Luke 19. If not, use your phone or your iPad or if you have Luke 19 memorized, that's great too. We're going to be uh, starting there with a f- what's probably a familiar story for many of you. If you attended, I don't know, Bible school, Bible class growing up, this is probably one of the favorites. Or maybe you had something like Kid Space that you um, were a part of. This is, this is good news for short people everywhere, all right? <laughs> uh, if you're one of those people, yeah, it's nice, all right? We can all identify as short people with this short man, Zacchaeus, and his story in Luke chapter 19. So I want to jump right in, like I said, and let's see where, where, where this leads, um, where the Lord leads. So in chapter 19, verse 1, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through And a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I mean, a lot can be said about this moment, this story, this encounter. And uh, I want to first camp where I think Jesus is asking us to camp, the major lesson here, the major theme. Here's a theme throughout the Gospel of Luke, and it's a theme, um, and, and what, what, in my opinion, happens to be like the last of three stories that belong together here in Luke's Gospel. But that theme, that story, that truth is that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Now, I want you to raise your hand for a second. Up high, get some exercise in. Go ahead. Get it up. Go. You got it. Now, if your hand is raised at this point, this is good news for you. All right? Put your hand down now. You're good. 
because we all are lost or were lost or will be lost at some point. And the good news is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. You know what ties these three stories together? Oh, you don't even know what three stories I'm talking about, do you? (laughs) The first one happens in Luke chapter 18 when Jesus comes to a rich young man and the man asks him a question. You know, what's the well, what's the point? What's the meaning? What's the greatest command? What, what am I supposed to be doing here? And Jesus says, you know, you know the commands. And, and he says, okay, well, there's this. I've done all that stuff. I got it. I got it, Jesus. And Jesus meets him with a response. And he says, okay, then go sell all you have and then come follow me. And we learn the man went away sad. It wasn't, and often we get hung up on this, this moment, like, well, man, this is a hard thing for Jesus to ask. He'll give away all that he has, and this is, you know, for a wealthy man, it's been really hard, and, and that's not the point. The point is that he didn't know he needed Jesus more than anything. He, he hadn't come to that realization. Now, we have this story of a rich young man that can't receive Jesus, and it's followed by a blind man, a, a poor blind man who's begging who's calling out for Jesus. And the crowd around him is saying, dude, stop it. He doesn't want to be with you. He doesn't want to meet with you. You're not important enough to meet with Jesus. This is Jesus of Nazareth we're talking about. This guy's a rock star. Like, you just stay over there. But instead, Jesus says, bring him to me. And the poor blind man gets an audience with Jesus. And when he's asked, what do you want me to do for you? He says, I want to see. What does Jesus do for him? He gives him his sight. Poor blind man knows he needs Jesus or he won't be able to see. The next story is a story of a rich short man who knows he needs to see Jesus and is willing, quite shamefully, to climb a tree admitting I'm too short. Now, I know you guys can see, but I can't, but I'm going to climb the tree anyway so I can see. And when he can see, His faith and his desperation is rewarded when Jesus sees him because Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. And the good news in all three of these stories is Jesus has come. Jesus has come. The world needs a Savior, and he has come. And when Jesus encounters these three men, what what makes their stories different is that the last two, both the poor blind man and the rich short man know their great need for Jesus. And it changes their life. Now, this is, this is the good news of the story, but it's not the only good news in the story. And so I want to give you a, a, some good news that uh, might be hidden and might not be as obvious. It's been good news in my life And I think it can be good news in your life. I'll say it this simply. Creation is a gift to us for our recreation. Creation is a gift to us for our recreation. So I want to present to you this morning the second hero of the story. It is up here, Ficus Sycamorus. It's the scientific name for the sycamore fig tree. This is actually a picture of a sycamore fig tree in Jericho, not the sycamore fig tree. It was 2,000 years ago. Shelf life on a uh, sycamore fig tree, not that long, okay? But it may have been a tree like this that Zacchaeus would have climbed to get a look at Jesus. 
the, the tree that, that was planted, that grew as a part of God's creation that allowed Zacchaeus to get the perspective he needed, to receive the healing he needed, the acceptance he needed, the grace that he needed for his life to, to change completely. We were just outside for the outdoor service, which the sermon preaches really well in the outdoor service, by the way. But you guys got windows. You can glance out. And I won't think you're not listening. Even if you're not listening, you can look out the windows. It's fine. Uh, we don't have any sycamore fig trees out there. But we do have a world outside our windows here that's equipped, well-equipped to help us see and hear and know the Lord. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. First, we got to come to grips with this reality in the story of Zacchaeus, and it's that we're all short. We're all short, right? That's good news, Hannah. Hannah's like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Even if you're not physically short in terms of your relative you know, height compared to other American males. I remember I, I was standing here with my son, Reese. Just remember we had a measuring contest a few months ago and I was taller, though I'm not anymore. Um, I just said that. I didn't have to. You wouldn't, guys, you wouldn't have even known that he had passed me up. Um, but I remember talking about as a kid, I would stand up against the, my life-size portrait of Patrick Ewing and I would measure to see how tall I was. I never got to Patrick Ewing's height, right? It didn't happen, but I, I was desperate to grow I longed for it. I, I looked forward to it. I, I knew I was shorter than Patrick. And you may know you're shorter than someone in your life, but do you know you're short? Short on patience. Or short on forgiveness. Or short on joy. Or short on hope. Or short on time. Or short on energy. We're all short in some way. What What's different about us is the same thing that was different about the rich man, the rich young man, the poor blind man, and the rich short man. What we do when we come to that realization, when we know we're short, most of us, when we come to that moment, we take a vacation, right? That's what we do in the summer, right? Like we've run out of energy, we've been looking forward to this all year, we've been working, we've been slaving, we've been just like doing all we could to get work done, and finally this time's been set aside, we get to get out of here. We need to get what we need. But it's interesting, I did some, dibby, dig, did some digging on uh, just culturally what we do with our vacations, what we do with our free time, and I wonder if any of it will, will surprise you. It surprised me. Some of these numbers are, are astounding. So the first number is this 14.8 million this is the number of trips taken to see a Broadway show in the year 2019. In one year, 14.8 million. That's a lot of, was that Hamilton? Was that 2019? That's probably why it's so high. I don't know. But people go to a Broadway show and they're looking for something they don't see in their drama, their unfolding drama. They want something different. So they go and people are bursting into song. They're like, yep, that's what I was missing. That's good. And, and they take it. But there's a hope that I'm leaving my life to, to do this for something, some kind of blessing. The next number, I think, is interesting, too. 59 million. I'm going to guess what this is. 
This is the number of visits to ski resorts in the winter of 2019, 2020. 59 million. And I could say we were one of those. I took uh, my sons and we went to Wintergreen and we got on a tube and we, and it was fun. Like we had a good time. Um, But we didn't come back, I would say, full of energy, restored in any deep spiritual way. (laughs) It was fun, but not that. Third number for you today, 68,494,752. Now, this is a very specific number, and you're going to understand why in just a second. This is the number of seats filled at Major League Baseball games in 2019. And now you get it because baseball is all about the record keeping, right? They're like, no, it was exactly 68,494,752. And that guy that got up and left to get a hot dog came back. They saw it. They counted him after. It's like record keeping is a big deal in baseball. This is exactly how many. But what were they there for? Why did they go? Why this many people fill Major League Baseball parks to take in a, a game? And to what end? One last number. The biggest of all, 1.24 billion. What is this? This is the number of trips to movie theaters in 2019 in the United States of America. 1.24 billion with a B. That's astounding. And why? Now, I want to make this clear. I am a fan of movies and Broadway shows to a lesser degree. And... uh, Baseball games and, what did I leave? And, and ski resorts. I'm a fan of all those things. And those, all those things can be good. But I'm concerned the way we use them, the way we consume them. You know, Jethro visited his son at, a, at a, an important moment in his life. He was leading the people of Israel and he was doing all he could. And Jethro, his father-in-law, came to Moses and he said, what you're doing, it's not good. Those were his words. And only a father-in-law could say them. What you're doing is not good. And I want you to hear those words and sit with them, even though I think they might be a little uncomfortable for us, and acknowledge that as a, as a culture, these numbers point to a reality uh, I'm not real comfortable with. About 15 years ago, in a fascinating commentary on American culture, Clifton Bryant and Craig Forsyth wondered at numbers like these and arrived at the conclusion that as a country, we pay homage to the fun God that we worship the fun God. The answer to our loneliness, the answer to our depression, the answer to our um, isolation or our frustration or our fatigue is too often fun. Like, well, what you need is more fun. And this is why, this is a phenomenon I think we, most of us anyway could probably identify with. When we take a vacation, we go away in need of rest, renewal, and we come back, absolutely exhausted and worn out. We are completely spent. And why is that? Is it because we got the wrong kind of fun? We arrive at that conclusion pretty quickly. Right? Well, next year, we'll do this kind of thing different. We'll do that. Or we didn't have enough fun. We, and and I just want to suggest there's a possibility what we're doing is not good. And this doesn't just have to be about vacation. It's often about life. It's about as soon as we get off work, or as soon as the weekend arrives, we cram it so full of like fun activity that we miss 
the better alternative. We know we're short on something, but we're reaching for the wrong thing to fill it. Summer affords us, most of us, more opportunity for recreation, for vacation, which should bring renewal, except for our recreation, we're blind to the gift that's right outside our windows. I, I want you to think back to Jericho and to Zacchaeus. And in his desperation, knowing he was short, he climbed a sycamore fig tree and he had a life-changing encounter with Jesus. And I want to suggest we can all to some degree follow in his footsteps if we have the courage and the heart to do so. Now, I'm a, I'm a Texan. And, yeah, somebody will say, Whoop. hey, a few more out there. Way to go. We're proud people. The rest of you just put up with it, all right? Um, but growing up in Texas, like most good Texans, especially those who lived in West Texas, we used our summers to invade Colorado, all right? <laughs> it's, just, it's just what we did, all right? And my parents were both teachers and so when the summer came, my dad would work extra jobs to make money, not so that he could pay for college or so that, you know, we could, we could put a new layer of paint on the house or anything like that. He worked so we could go away and just live in Colorado for as long as possible. And so what we'd do is we'd pass through New Mexico because it's just New Mexico. Like we wanted to go to Colorado. And we would pick up a pop-up camper and then we'd go to Colorado. And we always stayed in southern Colorado, a place called Marshall Pass, which is glorious. It's beautiful breathtaking. And as a kid, we'd, we'd camp there and, and we would, it's almost like, and maybe it wasn't like this, it just feels like this, but it was like we rolled up, we got out of the car and we could just do whatever. We ran around the woods, into the woods, along the aspen trees, into the rivers, and we would fish for rainbow trout and pull them out like, oh, and it was crazy. We'd see elk, like thousands of elk together. Like, and it was just amazing. That was a little bit of heaven for me. And they were seeds planted in me as we would live in that area. And my dad would talk about all this that God made. And he'd point to it. And I had living visuals testifying to God's glory. And man, it was good. As a teenager, um, I got busy. I had to work and things like that. And then when I did have off time, we didn't go as often to Colorado. We would go to Amarillo. You think Amarillo? Wow. What is there to see in Amarillo? I would work with my granddad on his ranch, and it would often involve some pretty uh, back-breaking work. We're digging post holes in the concrete called dirt in, in Amarillo, and uh, doing our very best. And we'd be out there for long stretches of time, and every once in a while, in between my very best effort, I'd just look around, and it would, it would astonish me how beautiful it was. At certain points in the spring when cactuses would bloom. And you're thinking, cactuses bloom? What? Yeah, they do. And, uh, and when the sun would set in Amarillo on that flat horizon, just beautiful. And I remember thinking, even as a teenager, just, wow, God is amazing. And then in college, I had the chance, the invitation to, to, to be a youth ministry intern. Even though I thought, no, nah, it's not really for me. I went, I did it, I was a part of it. And, and I got to be a part of a, of a week in Colorado with teenagers, partnering with a ministry called Wilderness Trek where I know you're going you're gonna to think this is crazy. We would take teenagers, put heavy packs on them, 
everything they needed to live on and just walk into the wilderness together. And I mean teenagers that had never stayed overnight in the woods before. Like, it was crazy, it was a little wild, but you would not believe the kind of life change that would take place as we walked together into God's creation and experienced recreation. Disconnected from phones, from TV, from noise, just together with God in his creation. In fact, it was a staple of this program to get out there, to get together, to get at the tree line before we summited a real life mountain the next day and have what we called a solo day. And the solo day was this big chunk of time where you knew you had to take your rain gear, you had to take something to drink, you had to take your Bible and a pen, a journal, and you just went away. The only rule was you had to stay alone. And teenagers, who'd, many of them maybe never spent more than 15 minutes alone with the Lord in their entire life, were now out there for hours. But without fail, they would come back from that time and be touched to their core as God's creation ministered to them as they found recreation in his creation. And I got to experience that. In fact, to the point that I saw this kind of life-changing experience take place, and I thought, I've got to do this. I ended up going into youth ministry myself. And for 16 years, we did youth ministry. First in Texas, where it was still real easy to get to Colorado. And then we moved to Alabama, and it was like, whew, this is tough. We took teens from Montgomery, Alabama, to um, Mount Hope in Colorado once. And it was such an extraordinary experience that they thought, Keith, like, we got to keep doing this. And I was like, kids, we can't afford this. It's not happening. It's not happening. But but I asked some friends in in youth ministry to to help me uh, imagine what this could look like on the east side. And they're like, yeah, we've got this thing called the uh, Appalachian Trail. Like, it's a great place to do what you're talking about. So they took us out as as a group and taught me how to lead a group in the wilderness like this, to make sure they didn't all like maim themselves or or get lost. And so I learned what I needed to know. And the next year and the next year and the next year and next year, we carried teenagers into the wilderness for recreation in his creation. And I'm telling you, like some of my favorite times on God's green earth were those moments, alone with the Lord, with his people, our eyes fixed on him, his creation, for our recreation. So I'm talking to you about all of this because I can testify to the truth that this is what God does. This is not just what he does for me. This is what he does for us. And he does it on repeat. And what we're doing with our vacations might not be good. What we're doing with our evenings and our weekends might not be good. Or at least at least I want to present you with an alternative. And this isn't just my idea that creation's here to bless us, to encourage us, to testify to us. This is scriptural, and I want you to see some of these truths from scripture to drive home that, that reality. The rivers and trees clap their hands. Did you know that? Psalm 98 and Isaiah 55 say so. Mountains and forests sing for joy. Isaiah 44 says so. Hills burst into song, as Isaiah 55. The seas lift up their voice, according to Psalm 93. The stones cry out, according to Jesus in Luke 19. Even the desert shouts for joy and the wilderness rejoices, as Isaiah 35. 
Even Paul told us, creation groans in Romans 8. You know, these, these truths aren't just figurative, I believe, in a way they're meant to, uh, what's the word, anthropomorphism. You know, like where these things that don't usually speak, speak for like some kind of metaphorical effect. And I, there is a lesson to learn from God's creation. Scripture testifies to that. But Jesus and, and, and the prophets and other authors in Scripture went further than that. Proverbs 6, we're told to consider the ant. Pay attention to the ant. You can learn something from the ant. Um, lift your eyes up to the mountains to see where your help comes from in Psalm 121. And then consider the grass and the flowers. Jesus and Isaiah say, look at the flowers of the field or the grass. Consider my great love for you. Your, you, you might be a vapor, but I love you and I planted you for a season to grow. I mean, all these truths are in Scripture and these truths are in creation for our blessing, for our renewal. And we got to know that. We got to recognize that. We got to realize that. You know, when you look around in the summer, I hope you see it, that there is new growth. There's new expansion. There's new life. And it's a great time to ask, why not me? Like, why not you? Why not us? I have firm conviction God's heart is for more than a new heaven and a new earth. It's also for a new you and a new me. And he longs for all of us to be made new. And his creation is a gift to us in that. It can be for our renewal. You know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with a guy named John Muir. I think he modeled this well. John Muir um, has some things named for him out in California. Um, he was, he was kind of crazy, all right, in, in a way. Like, he was a naturalist. He, he loved the great outdoors. And uh, he, he lived in America uh, for much of the 19th century and the early 20th century, back when much of the United States was left unexplored. And uh, he got crazy ideas like, you know what, I should just go out there. And so he hit these long extended walks through God's creation. And he took a journal with him and he would write down all the things he was seeing and all the ways he could see God's glory in creation. In fact, John Muir was instrumental in seeing our country adopt this, this great idea for national parks, both Yellowstone and Yosemite. In fact, he called Yosemite nature's cathedral, where you could see the glory, the grandeur of God in a way that moved you. And I can say, I can tell you, this is true. I was in Yosemite two years ago for six hours, and I was moved to my core, just long enough to really wear myself up, wear myself out, hiking up Vernal Falls, standing over the top, and just being like, wow, whoa, glorious. But you know, it wasn't the rocks or the water or the trees that caught my attention. It was the heart of a God who could do all this, the glory of a God who could do all this. His creation helped me to see and experience a renewal my heart needed. So I, I'm setting all this in front of you and I'm challenging you to think about how you spend your free time. I understand, like, you gotta work. I gotta work, we gotta work. Let's work, right? But we also have to live. And it's what we choose to do with those, those moments of freedom that can either add to our life or steal from it. And I just want to encourage you to think like a Zacchaeus who knows he's short 
but wants desperately to see Jesus. Let creation help you on your way to recreation. Ephesians 1 is one of my favorite, well, shoot, I should just say Ephesians is one of my favorite letters that Paul writes. And, and you could tell Paul loves the Ephesians so much, he can't just write them a, a letter. He has to burst into prayer every once in a while. Like, oh, I need to pray this for you. And so he starts to do that. Ephesians 1 is home to, to one of my favorite prayers that Paul prays. And I want to read it to you because I think it's just perfect for this moment and uh, my heart for you, for us as a people. Paul said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That your eyes may be enlightened, your heart may be enlightened, your eyes may be opened. Brothers and sisters, my prayer for you is that you'd have eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to know our God. And that that would extend well beyond any time you sit in this room. To know there's a gift outside these windows, outside these doors, that God's creation testifies to his glory and his grandeur. Will you listen? Will you look? Will you wait in faith? to see what he has to teach you, what he has to reveal about himself. My prayer is that you'd have that spirit of revelation and wisdom to discern and hear and see more and more. Today, um, we're gonna worship our way into another blessing, but you're gonna leave today with, I'm not gonna call it homework. We're gonna call it field work, okay? I've got seven ideas for ways you can walk this out this week. There happens to be seven days this week. And I think next week there's seven days too. And the one after that. So you can have something to do every day. A small step you can take. You don't have to climb a mountain. And some of you are like, good, because that wasn't happening. (laughs) You don't have that in you. I understand. It's okay. There's so many things we can do. And I want you to know, you can choose for yourself to get a better look at who God is. Ficus, Sycamorus, and every other tree, the rivers, the mountains, the hills, um, they're a gift from God to help us see him more clearly. I want to pray for you in that. I invite you to stand now. We sing one more song together. I want to invite you to, uh, to fix your eyes on the one who is worthy to celebrate his worth, his value, and to invite him to open your eyes more and more to who he is. Um, As we all cry out in our shortness for the blessing only he can give.